All right. It's good to be here. I, I met Eunice back in 2006, right? It was 2006, and I uh, spoke at Virginia Tech and spoke there again in 2008, and that's what led her out to uh, Korea. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, she said, my name is John Michael. How many of you guys were here last semester when I spoke? Raise hands. All right, got a few, got a few. Okay, uh, that's, that's good. I, I hope you guys are going to be blessed today. Um, what I do here in Korea is I serve full-time in orphanage ministry. And so I've been in Korea since the end of 2005. I lived uh, in an orphanage for three years. And then I got my own place to start up a ministry called Jerusalem Ministry. And later helped plant a church in Itaewon called New Philadelphia Itaewon. And I just recently started a scholarship mentoring program for orphans called Oak Tree Project. So that's just a little bit about me, um, but I want to share from the Word of God. Before that, I want to share my testimony, how God led me to Korea. If you guys are taking notes, though, I know some of you guys like to know the sermon title uh, before testimonies are shared. The title of today's sermon is Shake and Bake. Shake and Bake. Every now and then I come up with a good title, every now and then. So my story is that uh, I was born in Northern Virginia to a Christian family, and uh, I grew up in a Christian school, went to a Christian church, and I attended youth group, and I was a good kid. Uh, that's who I was. Uh, I learned how to act like a Christian. I got baptized when I was, I think I was 10 years old, and uh, everyone saw me, oh, he's a good kid, he doesn't curse, he's obedient, you know, he's a good boy. But I never really had an active relationship with God until my junior year of high school. And uh, before that, during my freshman year of high school, I went through, you know, the whole maturity, puberty thing and feeling insecure. I, I went from a Christian small school where I had 20 people in my class to a large high school where there were 400 people, you know, in, in my grade and uh, meeting all these new people. And I went through a period of depression and uh, that depression lasted I don't know how long it lasted, a couple months, but uh, I was insomnia. I, I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I lost a lot of weight. I, I went from weighing about 160 to weighing about 130. Uh, and to be six foot 130 is really skinny, uh, but that's where I was at. And the irony was, was I wasn't really depressed about anything that serious. You know, I, I was uh, raised in a nice family in a nice neighborhood, like, what did I have to complain about? It was just some rejection issues at school and just this heavy feeling over myself. And uh, to be honest, I didn't find God in that time. There wasn't this moment where oh, you know, suddenly God appeared and, and I got better. But what happened was my parents were praying for me. They, they saw that I was starting to change, that I wasn't eating as much, uh, that I wasn't as happy as I was. And so they were praying for me. They didn't tell me they were praying until later. Um, they would also grab me and, and have me watch Saturday Night Live or, or just funny movies and stuff with them just so I would laugh because I wasn't laughing as much then. And their prayers and their efforts really helped pull me out. And so I got better. And I, I share that, that part of my testimony because it's going to relate to what I'm going to share about the power of the church and the power of the influence of the church uh, a little bit later in my sermon. But if it wasn't for their prayers, I, I might have committed suicide. I, I might not be here today. Uh, but they really prayed me through. And then it was when I was 16. I went to a Christian camp, like many of you guys might have a similar testimony. You know, it was all powerful and, you know, start crying. I hear God's voice for the first time. And God spoke to me at that camp. Um, hearing his voice is very simple. He just told me, John Michael, 
uh, I love you. And uh, I heard it. And in that moment, just a few memories flashed before my mind. And they were simple memories of people showing me love, like a teacher, uh, like a friend, a friend's mom. Uh, it was random people, not even people that I would expect it, but people showing me love. And what God was telling me in that, in that moment was behind every moment of love, every act of love that you've received in your life, that love came from me. First John 4.19 says, we love because God first loved us. And uh, it was in that moment that I realized, oh my gosh, all my life, God's been showing me his love. All my life, he's been reaching out to me in so many different ways. And I was just totally oblivious. I just took it all for granted. And, uh, you know, I'd had the revelation of the cross long before, and I'd understood that, but I hadn't known that God is Emmanuel. That means God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're good. I'm tasting and seeing that you're good. I want more of you. So I committed my life to the Lord when I was 16, but uh, I was still kind of girl crazy and, and uh, distracted. And so I didn't grow with God that much uh, in high school. It wasn't until I got into college that I started to grow with God because what happened was finally the girl that I'd liked for a long time, I ended up dating with her my first semester uh, and things didn't work out. You know, you know how breakups are, it stinks. And uh, I found myself really discontent inside, especially at that all my high school years, I've been so focused on girls and yet there had been no fruit. And I realized I'd wasted so much time and energy and thought. And part of it was bitterness from breakup. But, you know, it was really like, you know, what am I doing with my life? And uh, at that time, I just started to get into Christian music. And you guys are blessed because you're a bit younger than me. But Christian music in the 90s was pretty bad. Uh, but around the late 90s, early 2000, you started to get passion. You started, you know, Chris Tomlin, David Crowder. Um, these Hillsong started to get more popular. And I started to listen to some Christian music. And that shifted something in me, just the Christian music. I'd listen to Pearl Jam, Counting Crows, groups you probably don't know, um, you know, before that were just rock and, and kind of heavy. And it would put me in a low mood. But when I would listen to Christian music, it would put me in a better mood. And I started to realize even how much music had an effect on my life. You know, I listen to rap music and I get angry, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wait a second, maybe I should, should let this go. And uh, I started to listen to more Christian music and I just started to grow with the Lord. I studied engineering at Virginia Tech. And uh, over the years, I went from praying just a few minutes a day to the next semester praying like 15 minutes a day. Next semester, praying 20, 25 minutes a day. The next semester, praying 30. More and more and more. And I just found myself growing in appetite for God. It wasn't this boom moment where glory of God showed up and I, now I'm just a new you know, creature and I'm, I'm totally different and I'm walking with God. No, it was a process. Uh, I wasn't charismatic growing up. Uh, Holy Spirit stuff. You know, if ever people talk about the Holy Spirit, that's like a cult. You know, like, oh, they all pray out loud at the same time. That's a cult, you know. And that's the way I grew up. So it was very gradual for me, and it was very based on the truth. And I just kept seeking God. And God led me to go on short-term missions in 2002 to Korea. I taught English out here. I was 20 years old. And uh, it was an experience for me. And to be honest, I didn't really like Korea. Uh, I didn't really enjoy teaching English. I, I didn't really like kids that much, and that's who I was teaching. But that's what God had led me to do. And, and so I came to Korea. Uh, taught the English and I went home and while I didn't want to come back to Korea and I didn't really want to do that type of mission again, there was something in me from the prayer meetings we had 
during those mission trips that stuck with me. You see, every night during that mission trip, it was a three-week English camp, we would pray. I mean, we were waking up at like 5.30 in the morning, teaching all day, taking care of the kids until they were put to bed. And then we would pray at like 11 o'clock at night. It was insane. Uh, but because we were so exhausted and because we were running after God, there was just, we were really going after the Lord during those prayer meetings. And I began to taste how good God is and the power of fellowship, the power of prayer. And I wanted more of that. So I came home my junior year uh, in 2000, it was 2002, and uh, I began to delight myself in the Lord more and more. Psalm 37.4, you guys know this verse? It's a good verse. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And for me, when I was young, growing up in the church, I just viewed it more as religious, just be a good kid, you know, be a good guy and, and do, you know, do what I need to do. And then I'll have my fun on the side. But as I really began to grow with God in college, I began to see, man, his love is better than life. His love is better than these things that I thought were my pursuits, that I thought were my dreams. And what I found was as I delighted in the Lord, as I read the word, as I prayed, as I worshiped, as I fellowshiped with people, he began to peel off false desires in my heart, desires that I thought were mine, like, you know, to get a good job and to get a nice house and to get a nice car and, you know, to live the safe American dream life. He began to peel that stuff away and he began to reveal deep within me desires that I never knew I had. You see, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. We're all knit together in our mother's womb. God is the author and perfecter, not just of our faith, but of our life. So he's the one who knows our dreams. He's the one that knows our creativity, our abilities, our talents, our desires. But often us growing up, especially your generation, we're just inundated with commercials and marketing and, you know, pop-up ads and all these things that try and tell you this is what life is. Go travel the world, you know, get this good job, get this newer iPhone, get this, you know, nicer gadget or, or whatever it is that the world wants you to have through commercialism. And you get all these desires that aren't really yours, but because everyone else is going for it, you think, yeah, maybe I, I want to be a, a K-pop star too, or, or maybe I, I want to do this as well. Okay. And, and God was just removing those things. And it got to the point where my last year in college, uh, studying engineering, I made a list and I took out, uh, my, my journalist piece of paper and I began to write down different career options. And I wrote down engineering in the States, engineering abroad. I wrote down seminary. I wrote down staffing at a college fellowship like this. I wrote down going to Korea, China, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, like every Asian country, for whatever reason, God had given me a heart for, for Asian countries. And I wrote all these things down. There's like 13 things. And I prayed, God, I pray that by the end of this year, my last year of college, that you will make it clear where you want me to go what you want me to be doing, where you want me to go. And uh, I pray, God, make it clear for me, and I pray you make it clear for my parents as well. You see, while my parents are Christian, they're great people, uh, they love the Lord, they did, there's no missionaries in my family, there's no international travelers in my family, uh, even leaving the state of Virginia is kind of scary for them. And so they had told me, that, hey, when you graduate, you're going to get a job. If you're going to live with us, you're going you're gonna to have to pay rent because we expect to use your degree um, you know, we, we don't want you going anywhere. You know, they, they're pretty strong about this. And I said, God, if you've given me this heart for missions, the heart that I didn't have earlier, 
Like if you had told me I'd be a missionary when I was 18, I would have been no and kick and scream, you know, and now you've given me this heart, then you can give them a heart as well. You can open up their mind as well. And so I prayed and uh, I began fasting. Well, I had been fasting throughout college. I, I grew in that discipline as well. But during my last year, I, I fasted a lot about my future and just praying. God, guide me and guide my parents. And I waited and I waited. And I kept expecting that angelic visitation. I kept expecting like crazy dream, you know, where God opens the doors to China and, you know, and I'm, I'm called to go. And none of that happened. Instead, what happened was... I would just find my heart being closed to certain things on the list. And uh, one of the examples I, I always share is, uh, it, it's just weird how God works, but uh, there's a place called Seven Corners uh, in Northern Virginia where there's all these wonderful Vietnamese restaurants. Vietnamese is my favorite food. And uh, so I remember going there one time during my winter break, and I was praying about Vietnam. Like, God, Vietnam, you know, eating my pho. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I could see this happening. And uh, then, then I heard everyone speaking around me uh, in Vietnamese. And um, that language, uh, it's, it's beautiful. But uh, I was like, I can't do it, God. I, I can't learn this language. I just, I couldn't see it happening. And, and I crossed Vietnam off, off my list. Uh, God works in mysterious ways. But that was just a, a, a clarity for me about that. And, and I found God was just crossing things one after another, to the point where when I graduated, the only thing left on my list was Japan. And I had applied for a mission organization in Japan. I'd been accepted. But I felt the one thing God had actually led me to do was he said, don't commit to anything until the end of the year, which was 2005. Like, don't go anywhere until the end of this year. So I told the, the Japanese mission agency, I'm really interested. I applied. I was accepted. But I can't go until as early uh, the, the earliest I can go is January of 2006. And they said, great, you'll do missions training in the summer. Uh, we're excited to have you on board. And uh, I, I came home, to be honest, not with this, yeah, I'm going to Japan, but with this discontentment. Because where I thought God was going to lead me clearly and lead my parents with me, all he had really done was crossed everything off my list. Just crossed it off except for Japan. And for my parents... They had come around to the point where they said, okay, John Michael, you can go wherever you want for one year, and then you have to come back and do engineering. So their heart had you know, kind of opened a little, but, but not completely. And so I didn't feel content. I was like, God, I've been praying and fasting for a year. You, know, you put this stuff on my heart. Why don't I have this fire for Japan? Why, why haven't I had this clarity? And why don't my parents have this clarity either? And so when I got home, what I did was uh, I, I um, well, for one thing, when I got home was I told my parents uh, I wouldn't be eating with them on Thursdays, Thursday nights. And they said, oh, well, why not? And uh, I said, well, Thursdays is my, it's my fasting day. And uh, they were kind of surprised because fasting wasn't a discipline that was really taught at my church or anything. And, and they said, well, what are you fasting for? And, and I said, well, I'm fasting for my future. Uh, I'm asking God to really guide me where he wants me to go. And my parents were, were kind of silent for a moment. And then they looked at me and my mom said, John Michael, your future is really important to us as well. And so we want to fast with you. And I was shocked. I'll be honest. I was really shocked. This was my parents were just five months earlier. My dad had been so strong about you're going to get a job and you're going to pay rent and, and all this stuff. And now they'd soften to the point where you can go wherever you want. And we want to fast with you. I was blessed. And um, 
the day after we fasted, my dad came up to me and he shared with me that he had a dream. And in this dream, I was at an orphanage in South Korea with Pastor Che. Now, this is really random because one, my dad had never been outside of America, aside from his honeymoon to Jamaica. And so he wouldn't know Korean from Chinese, from Japanese, from, you know, Filipino. Two, he had met Pastor Che one time in the mid-80s. That was like 20 years earlier. Uh, Pastor Che had visited my home church and spoken a little bit, and he had an orphanage in South Korea. Uh, so that was crazy. And then the other fact was, like I told you guys, I wasn't that interested in Korea, and I didn't really like kids. And so you had a dream of me at an orphanage in South Korea with Pastor Che. You know what we both did? We cracked up. We thought it was hilarious. Like, what a crazy dream. Like, oh, that's so dumb. And we weren't thinking. We just fasted the day before. Uh, my mom was the only one that was like, hmm, you know, that's kind of weird. That's not normal. Uh, but we just went on with life. Uh, I started working construction. I was waiting on God's guidance. Uh, I went on a missions training for Japan. My parents said, look, we really want you to have guidance with this. And our prayer is that during this retreat, that you either know, man, you're called to Japan or you're not. And so I went on that missions training in North Carolina and God closed my heart completely uh, to Japan. It wasn't anything wrong with Japan. It was just the missions agency and, and the training. I could just tell this was not who I was supposed to partner with. And so I came home like, I, I guess that's not it. I, I crossed off my list. I had nothing on my list. Everything was crossed off. And I, I remember praying to God. I said, God, if you want me to be unemployed for your glory, I will be unemployed for your glory. <laughs> But just guide me. And, and so, like I said, I, I started working construction for a family business. It was 6 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, hard hat, digging ditches, putting up wires, just waiting on God. Like, God, come on, guide me, guide me. You've told me by the end of this year you're, you're going to send me somewhere. Guide me. And uh, what ended up happening was after one month since that first dream, my dad had a second dream. And I didn't know this about my dad until after the second dream when he told me. But he's the type of guy where his head hits the pillow and he's out. He wakes up at 5 in the morning. He wakes up really early. But he, he doesn't dream. And this second dream, it was a nightmare. It was, it was a heavy dream. And it shook him up. And so he woke up. Middle of the night for him is like you know, 1.30 in the morning, which is bedtime for you guys. But uh, he woke up at that time, went downstairs, and, and opened up his Bible. And was just like, God, why did you give me this horrible dream? What are you trying to tell me? And it was in that moment that my dad heard God's voice very clearly. And God spoke to my dad with such a clear voice. He said, Pete, I speak in dreams. Pay attention. I speak in dreams. Pay attention. And you better believe that shook up my dad. Now, the only dream he could remember was me at the orphanage with Pastor Chet. And so he came up to me the next day, and this time it wasn't like laughing about a dumb dream. He was kind of shaken, and, and he said, uh, John Michael, I had this dream last night, and, and God spoke, and, and I feel like God's saying something here. And it was in that moment, as he's sharing with me, that it dawns upon me that when I came home, uh, right after I graduated, I opened up my prayer journal like I usually would do every new semester, every new summer, and I wrote down, I, I took new, new fresh pages, and I began to write down people's names. And I would do this every semester, every summer. I would write down people's names that were on my heart, and I would pray for them. And when I would pray for them, sometimes God would give me something specific for them, and I would write it down next to their name. And throughout that semester, throughout that summer, I would pray that for that person. Well, when I got home, I wrote down my dad's name, and 
immediately a verse came on my heart. And that wasn't normal for me, but a verse came on my heart. And it was Joel 2.28. And it says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And like I said, I wasn't raised in a charismatic church. Uh, I was just starting to be opened up to it uh, around that time. So this verse was kind of interesting to me. I was like, this is cool. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men dream dreams. Young men see visions. But I was like, what does this have to do with my dad? And so I'm praying and I'm trying to listen. Like, come on, God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? You know, like nothing. It's just, you know, nothing's going on in there. And so finally I'm like, all right, I got to use my own logic. And it says that your old men will dream dreams. My dad's my old man. I'll pray that he dreams dreams. And that's, that's what I did. I wrote down dreams, dreams, walks in your spirit. I'd never prayed in my life for someone to dream dreams up to that point. But I said, oh, you know, I thought, why not? This is the verse. My dad's my old man. I'll write it down. And I began to pray. God, I pray that you speak to my dad in dreams. It was five days later, my dad had that dream of South Korea. But I was too dense to remember that I had started praying that. So it was that after a month, and he comes to me the second time, and I say, Dad, I've been praying for you to dream dreams. God definitely is speaking. And so we tracked down Pastor Che's email address, and uh, I emailed him. It was a very ironic email. I, I said, hey, my name's John Michael Becker. I'm, I'm an engineer uh, from Virginia Tech. I'm 22 years old, uh, and I can't speak any Korean. Can I be of any help at your orphanage? You know, and I, I emailed to him. Thankfully, he can speak English, but he was, he's, was in his 70s at the time, so it was amazing that he was even emailing. Um, but it took, <laughs> took about a month uh, before he replied. And uh, his reply back was, oh, nice to hear from you. Um, I'll talk to my staff. We'll see. And I replied back, like, oh, you know, thank you very much. And, and I waited. And I continued to work construction. So July passes, August passes, September it's passing. I'm just working six in the morning, two in the afternoon every day. And uh, it was in late September that uh, I was, I'd had my prayer time. I was about to go to bed and uh, I was actually laying in bed and I was thinking about Korea. And for me, Korea was a big faith jump because I didn't know anybody in Korea. Uh, if I were to live in this orphanage, I would be immersed. Pastor Che could speak English, but nobody, nobody else on the staff could speak English. So I'd be living with 88 kids with some social workers, and I'd, I'd just be there. I would have no friends. I would have no one to speak English with. I would have to live off of support. Uh, I would have to, you know, just get by without a ministry, without anybody with me. Uh, I would have to learn how to, to love these kids, you know, who I, I didn't have a heart for. And, and it, was just, it was just like, man, can I really do this? And I remember laying there that night, just kind of concerned. And in that moment, I remembered the different times, like you guys tonight, as you guys were worshiping, I remember moments like that of worshiping God and singing songs like, Jesus, I believe in you and I will go to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus, Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I choose to live for you. And I remembered that, man, I, I sang those so passionately and I meant it when I, when I sang it. But now I'm being faced with it. Like, can I really do it? And it was in that moment that God's peace, it just fell on me like a blanket, just covered me. And verses like Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. At the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, Surely I'm with you always, even now to the very end of this age. These verses, they just came alive in me. And I said, God, I've tasted this before, but now I know it. I'm going to walk in it. God, if Pastor Che invites me to the orphanage tomorrow, I'll go. 
I will just obey. I'm, I'm throwing my life into your hands. And uh, it was that night I fully surrendered my heart to the Lord and said, God, I'll go. If you want me to go, I will go. What happened was uh, no, nothing dramatic happened after that for a couple weeks. And then my mom got an email from a friend of hers in the Midwest. And this lady asked about me. And my mom replied back, oh, he's working construction. We're, we're praying about his future. He might do engineering. He might do missions. We're not sure. And the lady replies back and says, well, uh, I've been praying. And God has put on my heart to give a sum of money uh, that I have from, from a bonus from this different thing and give it aside uh, to the Lord, to his work. And so I continued to pray for some time and ask God, well, who do you want me to give this to? What group? What person? What country? Who do you want me to give this to? And God made it very clear that I'm to give this to John Michael. So beginning in December this year, I'll be giving John Michael $1,500 a month for an entire year to wherever God leads him. Now, this was nothing confirmed, no support letter. No one even really knew what was going on in my life. But she had such strong conviction from God to give me $18,000. And I remember my mom calling me down and, and uh, I, I come into the room. I'm like, what's going on? She's all like, you know, look at this. And, and she's showing me this email and she's stunned. And she looks at me with, with all seriousness. But she looks at me and she says, John Michael, if Korea doesn't work out, you better go somewhere because this lady's giving you all this money, you know? And uh, it was just cool because it wasn't my friend. This lady, I didn't have a relationship with this lady. Uh, and, and I thought from the beginning, God would guide me and God would give me the visions and God would give me the provision. My parents would just back me up. But man, God wrote such a better story. Instead, it was my dad that got the dreams and visions. I, I still wish I had gotten some of them, but, you know, he got them. And then it was my mom's friend that released this provision. And so what happened was my mom, her faith just, it, it just, re, it, it increased so much from this. And she was like, this is God's will. And uh, in the next week, my dad had two more vivid dreams of me at this orphanage. One was of me moving in and the other was me teaching English. And he had such vivid dreams. He was telling me details about the home. And he's like fascinated because he's like, all right, you know, you got to be careful about the hot water. It's going to run out, you know, you got to do, do this. And I'm like, okay, dad. Okay. And, uh, it got to the point where in mid October of 2005, uh, my parents, my sisters, my brother-in-law, we all got together and they all shared their concerns. Like I said, no missionaries in the family, no world travelers, none of that in the family. It's, it's scary. Send your son on the other side of the world where he's got nobody and he's going to live with a bunch of, you know, orphans. It's, it's kind of scary, okay? I know for some of you guys, Korea is, you know, your, your grandparents or you got accepted for study abroad, so it's not as imposing. But for me and for my family, it was, it was pretty wild. And they all shared. They said, man, to serve the orphans is good. This is God's heart. God's made it so clear. And it was so strong to the point that my parents, they looked at me and they said, John Michael, we're blessing you to do this and we're committing you into God's hands. You're going to go and you're going to do the Lord's work. And if anything happens to us here in America, we need you to know that we're also in God's hands and God will take care of us. You're not meant to worry about us. You're meant to do the Lord's work. And so we're releasing you. We're blessing you. We're sending you. And uh, that was so powerful for me. And they all laid their hands on me and they prayed for me. And uh, it was just a couple days later. It might have been the next day, but it was at least that week. Pastor Che emailed, finally, been a few months. And, uh, and he said, we'd like you to come move into the home right after Christmas. Uh, we want you to live with us and to teach English to the children. 
And uh, I reply back, okay, great. I bought my plane ticket that day. Uh, I stopped working construction towards the end of November and just spent close time with my family uh, in December. And then I flew out December 29th, uh, 2005. And I've been here ever since. And uh, what was interesting was even in the months of November and December, after it was so clear that God was calling me to go to Korea, God continued to speak to my dad in dreams. And he still does today. My dad still gets interesting dreams. Uh, but he began to give my dad dreams uh, of me, that Korea would be my home base. It would be like my home, my place where I would rest my feet. But that in time, God would begin to send me. And I would go and I would do his work in a certain place. And then I would come back, recuperate, you know, get more people and then go back out. And what God was speaking into my heart so clearly, even though I knew very little about the country, was North Korea. I just knew, man, South Korea is a stepping stone. I'm going to come here. I'm going to learn the orphan spirit. I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to learn how to you know, work with the culture, learn how to enjoy the food, uh, learn all these different things. Uh, and that God's going to prepare me and equip me to eventually go into North Korea. You know, my dad has had so many dreams of North Korea. He's had so many dreams that he's ready to drop his job as treasurer of our family business and move out here with us in Korea and join in the work. That's how amazing God is. Uh, God just, he does this. As we trust in him, as we lean on him, as we commit our ways to the Lord, Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. As you commit it to him, your plans will come forth. And uh, I'm so thankful. I could share with you guys a lot of stories, and that's what I did last time I was here. Um, but I'm going to save some of those stories. And instead, I'm going to share a little bit about how to equip you guys so that you too can not just find God's call for your life, delight in Him, and, and find those desires deep within you, but really accomplish them. Really see them bear fruit. And I want you guys to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. It says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions, the Lord alone led them. No foreign God was with him. So God is like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord is the one who leads us. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about eagles. When an eagle has, uh, hatches its eggs, when it has the eggs uh, and, and the baby chick is hatched, what will happen is that over about six to ten weeks, the mother and the father eagle will feed it and will nurture it. It will take good, close care of it. And, and the little baby chick will just sit there in that big nest and be happy. And it has this, this down-type uh, type coat to it. It doesn't have feathers yet that keeps it really warm, and it just eats. And so the parents, they go, they get the meat, they tear it up into those little pieces, and then they feed that little baby chick. And the baby chick starts to grow. And what happens is that over the weeks... The chick starts to lose that down jacket that's over it, and it starts to grow feathers. And so it starts to get a little bit more flexible, but also a little bit cooler. And what happens is, after those six to ten weeks, the mother and the father will gradually stop feeding the baby. 
They'll feed the baby less and less. What happens is the baby goes from that baby fat, you know, fat, cute chick, to starting to get really thin. And it starts to get pretty big, but it's all thin, and it gets really hungry. And what the mother and father are doing is it's trying to teach the baby how to fly. It's trying to get that baby chick uncomfortable. It wants that baby chick to start to spread its wings and to get out of the nest. And the way it learns to fly is that the mother and the father will actually come over the nest. And it says here, it says it hovers over its young. The eagle will actually just fly over the nest. Just still over the nest and fly. And what happens is the baby eagle will look up and watch. And if you guys study psychology, you'll, you'll know that we become what we see. Okay, we become what we see. If you have an abusive household, you're going to have to deal with that as you get older. You can watch different abusive households. Usually it gets passed down. You see a household where there's a lot of joy. You see joy rise up in the children. We become what we see. And this baby eagle, it will watch. And it will watch its mom and its dad hover. And so it will start to flap its wings. But it will not go outside of the nest. It might even start to become go above the nest. But it will never go outside it. But it will start to starve more and more and more. And they actually say that the mother and father will get this meat and it will fly around the nest like you know you want it. And they won't give it to the child. It will drop it outside the nest. And so the eagle's got to learn to fly. And it's at that point where the baby eagle will finally, it's got to go. If it stays in that nest any longer, it's going to starve. It's got to jump out. And uh, I want to present this analogy to you guys that a lot of you guys in your Christian walk, you're like baby chicks, baby eagle chicks. And there's a time where you need to bake and you need to just relax in that nest and you need to grow. And if you jump out of that nest too soon, you're going to die. Okay. You need to be nurtured by the Lord. You need to be nurtured by the family of God. You need to watch different influences that are healthy and learn from them. And then there's a point where you need to get shaken. And if you are like me, I'm the, I'm the type of person that needs to be shaken. I'm, I'm not the go-getter. I'm not the like, I'm going to take the world. I'm more of the, you know, I, I just like to chill at home, you know, and relax. And, and God had to shake me up. And, and it take, gets to the point where if you don't get shaken up enough, you're going to die of starvation. You're going to die of just being complacent. Your Christian walk is going to fall apart. And so it's shake and bake. And it's either usually one or the other for a lot of you guys. And I want to share what this means. Uh, If you're being complacent in your walk, you need to be shaken. So what does this look like? What this looks like is your faith getting tested. And this looks like suddenly you facing a lot of struggles in your schoolwork, or suddenly something relationally gets difficult, or suddenly, you know, David O. asks you to come up and lead prayer, and you haven't prepared at all, and you're getting shook up. You're, you're getting like, oh my gosh, this is, this is heavy for me. You know, I, I, I got to get up. And, and you get frantic, you get anxious, but it grows your faith because the more this happens, the more you start to trust in the Lord. The more you start to know that, okay, God is with me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. It was those short-term mission trips where I got shaken up that really built my faith to prepare me to go to Korea. That's what it means to get shaken. You get tested. You grow as a leader. You grow in your faith. But what I believe a lot of you guys are at in your walk right now is you're at a time where you need to bake. You need to bake. You need to grow with the Lord. And uh, here in Korea, I meet a lot of people that are very anxious. I think it's part of just the spirit that's over this nation. But they got dreams, and they want to accomplish their dreams right away. 
They want to become, you know, that star. They want to go to North Korea. They want to, you know, change the world. They want to, you know, rise up the top in the company. They want to make that app. They want to change the world. And that's awesome. And I'm blessed by them. I'm also a little overwhelmed by them because I'm, I'm more the peaceful type. But what I've noticed for this, this driven personality type is that a lot of them fall apart. A lot of them don't make it along the way. And you can even see this among celebrities. A lot of people that started too soon and they fell apart. And uh, one of the examples that always comes to mind for me was uh, when I was in Virginia coming out here. And then even after I came out here, you know, I would visit Virginia and see my friends. They had such a heart for North Korea, some of my friends burning for North Korea. They were part of Link. They were part of these different groups. And they're like, we got to change the world. We got to go. We got to save you know, these orphans. We got to take care of these people. And uh, I would look at them and I would just say, I, I would just see that, man, they're getting way out of God's will. And they're starting to take this savior mentality on themselves. They're not learning how to trust in the Lord. Like that baby chick that waits on its mom and its dad, that watches its mom and dad, that is patient. Instead, they just want to jump. They want to take the meat for themselves. They want to save the world. And uh, I had one friend who he actually wanted to drop his last semester of college so that he could go to North China and work with ministries from North Korea. And he was like, man, forget this degree that I worked so hard for. I just got to save them now. You know, they're, they're dying now. I got to go. And uh, it took his brother and his parents like rebuking him so strongly for him to finish a few months of school so he could get his degree. But then what he did was uh, he, he left the country. He joined uh, an underground organization. He couldn't tell anyone where he was going. And uh, he went to Refugee Center in one of the countries that has an underground railroad uh, here in Asia. And uh, he started doing that work. And I was so concerned for him. And I had warned him, you know, if, if you go ahead of God's plan, if you try and do this on your own, you're not going to make it. And uh, he disappeared. He disappeared for, I think it was a year or two. And uh, then I was going to one of those countries uh, for a missions, a missions meeting. And uh, I emailed my first supporters. He happened to be on there. And he replied back. And he said, actually, that's where I am. I'm there right now. And I could really use a meetup. And uh, he's like, don't tell anyone that I'm here, though, because it might, you know, it might compromise uh, the refugee center. And so I was like, okay. I went to that city. I met up with him. And um, I could just tell man, this guy is a shell of himself. He, he had been so strong. He had been one of those people that you guys would look up to. Um, you know, like getting trained up as a student leader, going to become a staff, and that type of person. And uh, I just saw him, and his faith was dead. And his love, he, he told me he had no love for North Koreans. He said, you know, I came to this refugee center and I just had all these high hopes. And what I found out was that North Korean people are tough. They fight all the time. He said, anytime you put two males together, they would just fight. They would fist fight in the streets to the point where crowds would gather. And if the cops came and arrested them, that would shut down the whole refugee center and send all these people back, possibly to North Korea. And uh, he said, they're so difficult. These kids constantly bothering me, constantly needing different things. Um, I asked him, you know, are you in a church? He said, no, I, I don't have time. Uh, I constantly have to be at the center. Uh, I just do, you know, sports on the side for you know, stress relief. And I, to me, this guy was the epitome of not getting baked enough and going on your own. You know, I said, we love because God first loved us. And in order to love the really hard to love, you need a lot of love in your heart. 
Because you're going you're to get poured out. I want you to turn to John 15. Open your Bibles to John 15. If you guys can remember anything from tonight, I want you guys to remember these verses right here. Because this will make or break your time here in Korea. I see so many people come to Korea. I mean, I've been here over eight years. And they either grow with God a lot or they fall away pretty hard. And they, they go to the partying and, and they go to that, that, that way. And it's one or the other. It's not this, oh, I'm just the same person as I was before. It's usually either, man, you really grew with the Lord or really fell hard. And uh, John 15, look at verse uh, 4 and 5. It says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Apart from God, you have nothing to offer. Apart from God, man, you can go into North Korea and you can try all you want, but you're going to just end up burned. You're going to end up exhausted and you're going to see that, man, all these people that I try to reach and help, they didn't respond at all. Why? Because I wasn't moving in God's love and God's anointing. I was moving in my own anointing, my own love. And uh, what I train people in the orphanage ministry is I tell them, all of us, when we're new Christians, or just people in general, I mean, you can share those non-Christians and, and they'll get this. We have a love tank. We have an ability to love and it's, it's filled up. But when you meet difficult people, you got to pour out some love. You got to show some patience. You got to show some kindness. You, you got to work with them. You, know, you got to persevere. And so you're pouring out and you're pouring out and you're pouring out. And what happens if you don't refill your cup? You run out of love. And you become what's called spiritually dry. I'm going through a dry season. I'm just, man, I'm just not feeling it right now. Uh, I don't really want to go to a large group. I think I just want to watch TV. I just, uh, I don't really want to meet up with people. I just want to do my own thing. That's what happens when you get spiritually dry. And I see this at my orphanage all the time. You know, uh, back in 06, we used to have so many volunteers come to the children's home. Both the orphanage ministry that I was directing and other groups, just volunteer groups like you guys, college kids, come to the orphanages. And they would come and they would think, man, these kids, they're going to be like Orphan Annie. They're going to be all happy to see me. They're going to run up and give me a big hug. And it's going to be great. And then they get to the orphanage and it's not like that. Because like I said, the least loved are the least able to love. They, their tank is very small and it's very dry. They need a lot of love. And so them trying to give you a hug, it's not because they love you. It's because they need your love. Okay? And you find, man, they're clinging to me. You know? They're, get off of me. And, and that's the way they are. And they'll test you. And they'll try you. And the, the orphan spirit comes out. All this different stuff. And so what I would find is that the majority of the volunteers would last three to four weeks. That's it. You would think that, oh, I got a big heart for orphans. You know, I'm going to love them. I'm here for a year, three or four weeks. They would come the first week with this big heart and they'd be disappointed. Second week, try again. And, oh man, this is tough. Third week, I don't really want to go, but they would come. And then the kid could sense that the volunteer wouldn't want to be there. And so the kid would immediately close its heart completely. And so then, man, they're not connecting at all. And so then they give up. That's it. And you know what? Now, almost all the orphanages in Seoul don't allow volunteers. They've closed their doors. Uh, they've caught on to it. And they've seen the damage it's having on these kids. Because the more these people quit on these kids, the more the kids feel orphaned. The more they feel unloved. And, uh, you know, for me, I told you guys, I didn't have a heart for kids. 
I didn't. Even up until the point I was flying to Korea. Even after I arrived in the orphanage and I'm looking at these kids. I was praying, though, over those months where I knew God was leading me. I said, God, if you give me a heart for missions, you can give me a heart for Korea. And you can give me a heart for these kids. Because I love because you first loved us. You first, you first loved me. I love because you've given me love. My ability to love comes from you. And so if I ever say, oh, I don't have a heart for that, that's me speaking out of my flesh. That's me saying that I can't do all things through God. And so I, I said, God, give me a heart for these children. And what I did was I went around to every room, 88 kids, and I would take group pictures of the kids. And I learned the Korean phrase, you know, what's your name? That was like all I knew. You know, and they're like, Soon, Sanghun, Jihun. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and and uh, and so I I would take the picture and I would write their names in English over it. Because I, I couldn't read Korean. And uh, I would go to my room and I would just pray for the kids. I'd pray for Sanghun, I pray for Jihun, I pray for Suhun, I pray for, for these different kids. And what I found was just within a few days, I started to have a heart for them, and I remembered all their names. I learned 88 Korean names within just a few days of being at the orphanage. That's crazy. I, I mean, I, I don't remember a lot of people's names at my church. But, but, you know, because I was praying and looking at those pictures, it got in me and it got in deep. And I was seeing these kids through God's eyes. And God really was giving me that love. And what I found was over the years, my love grew stronger and stronger. And the first year, there was a lot of grace. I would say I was baking that first year. As hard as, that, as it was, living in a new country, having to eat orphanage food all the time, you know, and not having any friends and, and adjusting to be a missionary, uh, God really preserved me. He really took care of me. But then what happened was in my second year, that grace started to be lifted. And as I was growing with God, I was getting more confident in Korean, or at least growing, learning it, I started to recognize the kids were speaking bad words. <laughs> I didn't know the Korean language. Uh, until like 2007, and then I started to pick up on attitude, started to pick up on different things, and a lot of grace started to be lifted from me, and it got hard. Uh, it got to the point where in um, that, it was like April, I think, of 2007, uh, we got four kids that got chicken pox all at once, and the room that I was staying in was like a little tiny apartment within the orphanage. It was the quarantine room, and so uh, if kids got sick, they would have to live with me, but would you know, did you know, during all of 2006, not one kid got sick. They were all healthy. In 2007, it was a different story. Everyone was getting sick. Pink guy, they're, they're staying with me, patch over the eye, you know, in, in the quarantine room. But then chicken pox. Now, this takes like two weeks. And uh, if you've ever had chicken pox, it itches, and you got to put cream on it. And, you know, it's just bothersome. And uh, the kids that came in the room, they were a kindergarten, uh, two first graders, and a fourth grader. And um, including Jihoon and Suhoon. Uh, and, and these kids, man, it was tough. It just was not easy whatsoever. One of them was one of the toughest kids in the home, uh, the kindergarten kid. And then the others, they're just wired, all this energy. They're bouncing off the walls. I'm trying to take care of them. And uh, at the same time, I was studying at Yonsei. I was studying Korean. So I would commute an hour, 15 minutes, go to Yonsei, study four hours, commute, hour 15 back. And I would be walking in the home, and they would be up against the door, like looking out, like waiting for me, you know. And I would come in the room, and they're like, oh, jam, game, game, you know, like, let's play. And, and I'm like, I need rest, rest. And, and, I, and I'd be like, give me 10 minutes, you know, and, and it would be like two minutes. And, and they'd be all over me. And. And I would, I'd play with them, and then I would go teach English, and then I'd come back, I'd have to feed them, put the lotion on them, and discipline them. Guys, this was not easy. And uh, I was getting shaken. 
during this time. And uh, there was one point, I'll, I'll just share this memory. I, I came home and um, I, it had been a tough day. I was worn out. And I was like, kids, just give me 10 minutes, please. Just go in this other room, give me 10 minutes. And, uh, and I'm like, shippoon, shippoon. Like, that's all I know, like 10 minutes, you know. And, and, and they go in that room and, uh, and they're playing and I hear crying all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh boy. And, and I go in and they had stacked up these cushions in a very like not safe way so that they could look out the window that was too tall for them. But it was like, you know, doing this, the cushions. And one of the stacks had fallen and the kid had hurt himself, and the other kid was laughing at him. So, you know, he's like crying even harder. And then the other kids are like dangling, like out the window, like all dangerous. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And, and I, I yell at them. I'm like, you know, don't do this. Don't get up by the window. And, and don't, you know, don't laugh at this kid. And I'm just like, I'm trying to put things in order. And I'm getting kind of frustrated. And I said, look, I, I don't want to hear anything. You know, be, be quiet for, for a few minutes. I go back, and I'm trying to rest at my computer. And within like a couple minutes, uh, I hear crying again. And I come back, and they're in the same positions. It's like the same kids crying, same kids laughing. Other two kids are, are doing this. And, and I, I, I kind of snap. All right, I, this is a low moment for me. But I, I snapped, and I'm like, get out! Like, like get out of the room! And, and, uh, and they're like, they look at me, because Jam doesn't usually get angry, you know? And... and Jihoon, the younger first grade boy, soon as you and their brothers, he starts to like smirk. Like, <laughs> like James getting angry, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, get out. And, and you know, Lil Yedong and Jung Wan, they run out. And Suhoon's, you know, the older boy's kind of concerned. He leaves, but Jihoon's kind of like laughing. And he had done something as well that I was upset about. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm infuriated, you know, when you're upset at a kid and they're like laughing at you, like, it doesn't feel good. So I grab Jihoon and I, I pick him up in the air and I slam him on the ground. Not slam him, you know, it's gentle, but uh, I, I'm trying to like, like, I'm the adult here, you know, like, like, like that's what I'm trying to say. I just learned that phrase too, like that day, like, like listen, and uh uh, because he hadn't been doing it, and he's still smirking, and so I do another, like pick him up, and I, and I bring him back down, and at this point he's like, okay, this isn't right, you know, and, and I'm like, all right, all right, get out, and uh, I shut the door, and I'm I'm just like, now I'm in the room alone, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, God God help me, and uh, I calm down, I pray, and uh, I open the door, and I'm like, all right, you can come here. And I pull him into the bedroom and, you know, shut the door. And the other kids now are freaked out. Like, oh, my gosh, she's taking Jiyun and shutting the door this time. <laughs> and and uh, I sit Jiyun down and I'm like, Jiyun, I'm sorry, you know, for, for, for what I did. Now, this is very basic Korean, but I'm like, I'm sorry. And he just starts crying. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and, 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 uh, and I talk, talk it through with him. I'm, like, exhausted. Uh, I go out after this and I tell the kids, like, look. No more getting on the cushions. No more making each other cry. I'm looking at Suhoon Jihoon, the, the mischievous one. No more making them cry. Like, no more of this. I want you guys to be quiet. I got to go teach English now. And when I get back in an hour, you guys, if you're quiet, if you do good, we'll play Xbox. Okay? 
you know, and, and they're like, okay. And, and uh, I leave. I'm just exhausted. I go, I teach, and I come back to the room, and once you know it, I hear crying. And I, I open the door, and I come in, and Chiyun and Soon are outside that same room where I yelled at the kids. And they're smiling, like, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, what did you do? And they're like, oh, we didn't do anything. They're just, they're just crying. JM, Brusang Hade. JM, they're like, he, JM, poor JM is what they're saying. And I'm like, what? And I go in, and little Jungwon, the kindergarten kids, he's bawling. And Yedong, the first grader, he's crying. And what I find out is Yedong's crying because he felt bad for me. Jungwon's crying because Yedong's crying. And so <laughs> I'm like, like Chongwan, Chongwan, it's okay. And he's like, uh, uh, you know. And I, I pull him out, and then I talk with Yedong, and, and he felt all bad. Uh, part of it was the cleaning lady had heard the uproar, and she had come up, and she had been like, oh, you kids, you know, Jam, Kosei, Mani, you know, like, oh, he's been through such a hard time. And, and uh, poor Yedong got, got convicted. But you know what was interesting was, was during that time, a friend of mine texted me and said, Jam, are you doing okay? And uh, I'm like, no. <laughs> and uh, my friend said, well, I just had a dream. And in that dream, you, you, looked, you looked in really bad shape. And uh, I, I knew God was telling me to pray for you. You know what? Two people had that same dream within that week of taking care of those chicken pox kids at two separate times. And it was in those dreams God was telling me that I'm with you. And God was strengthening my ability to love. I was getting shaken up. During that, that, that time, uh, I was really getting hard-pressed. But God kept telling me, I'm with you. You're not alone in this. And, and God built my faith. And wouldn't you know it, those four kids, they finally got better. But chickenpox, when you get it, it remains hidden for an amount of time. That's actually when you're contagious. But once the spots start to show, you're only contagious if you itch it and then you touch somebody you know, with, after itching. Uh, and what happened was those four kids leave, and the cleaning lady's like so happy for me. The dorm parents are so happy for me. I'm so happy for myself. And uh, like three days later, I get a call from the dorm mom. She says, JM, Sudu, like they got chicken pox. I'm like, no. I come home, they're like, they're having me check it out because now I'm the one who's the expert on chicken pox. So I'm like going through the kids, like, yeah, he's got it. Yeah, I got six more kids for another two weeks that same month uh, that I had to take care of. Uh, but God was gracious, and uh, if you guys go to New Philadelphia Church, you're going to hear a bit more about the orphanage ministry this Sunday uh, and how God has been so gracious in my life and in this ministry and taking care of these kids. But I wanted to share that because that was getting shaken. And if I hadn't grown enough with the Lord through college, if I hadn't been baked enough and really learning how to abide in God and remain in Him, I would have snapped. I'm telling you guys, I would have snapped. And I, I, I mean, when I picked up Jihoon, I was near it, you know. If you teach, you'll get one of those moments. But, uh, but I, I was ready to go home. And there were different moments during 2007 where I was like, man, I just want to quit. I just, I just want to leave. And God would say, no, I've been with you. Remember these things. And God, I would abide in him. I would read the word. I would pray. I would go to church. I would get encouraged. And I kept at it. And now I'm here today. Uh, you know, a lot older, a lot more mature, a lot stronger. I could go through all those things so easily now. But if I hadn't been abiding in God, if I hadn't gone through that period of baking, and then during that time of shaking, if I hadn't had the church body to go to for that help and for that prayer, if I hadn't had different friends praying for me, I'm telling you guys, I would have fallen apart. And this is where you guys are at in your Christian walk. You're going to, at one point, either you're going to be 
so zealous for doing something that God's going to say, you need to bake. I'm going to, I'm going to lock you down for a season. You're going to get tested in this. And you're going to be like Joseph who had all these big dreams and I'm going to rule the world. And you know, all you guys are going to bow down to me. And suddenly he's baking for 13 years in Potiphar's house in prison. He's just waiting, learning to wait on God, learning this patience. You can be like David. He's anointed king and he, I'm ready to be king. And it takes, uh, I don't know if it was 13 to 20 years before he became king. He had to run around the wilderness from, from King Saul. Uh, he was on his own. And uh, he had to learn how to wait on the Lord. Moses, he's all arrogant. You know, Pharaoh's, uh, in Pharaoh's court, you know, he kills an Egyptian trying to defend the Israelites. Like, I'm going to help you guys. And so what does God do? He sends him to the desert for 40 years to bake. To bake. And to just learn how to trust in the Lord. Learn how to walk with the Lord. And what I'm telling you guys is if you don't learn how to abide in Him, if you don't learn how to walk with Him, if you don't go through that season of being baked and of being committed to His heart, you will have nothing to offer this world. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. And all these dreams and all these ambitions that you have, you're going to either find out that, man, this was shallow, this wasn't even me, and you're going to feel empty when you're 40 years old or you're 50 years old, or you're going to find these desires in your heart, but you're going to run ahead. And you're going to be like King Saul, get the anointing too soon. And, and you're going to fall apart. You're going to be filled with pride. You're going to be filled with jealousy. You're going to be filled with bitterness. Like my friend who, who had that huge heart for North Koreans and was ready to quit college because he loved them so much. And yet when he went out to actually serve them, because he hadn't grown in the discipline of the word and prayer and waiting on the Lord and being in fellowship, he couldn't sustain himself. He fell apart. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. And uh, what I want to encourage you guys is uh, I want to encourage you guys, if, if you're here, whether you're here for three months, you're here for a year, you're here a full-time student. If you guys really want to succeed in life, if you really want to grow and, and achieve these dreams, you've got to learn how to delight yourself in the Lord, and you've got to learn how to abide in Him. And it's Sunday school answers, guys. Abiding in Him is not complicated. How do you abide in God? It's prayer. Talk to God. How do you abide in God? You read the Word. Get to know his heart. This is God's word to you. It's like talking, listening to your father by reading this. You get to hear your father's wisdom. You get to receive God's heart for you. You know the truth. The truth sets you free. So you pray. You get in the word. And then you get fellowship. That's why you guys are here. Okay, it's not just about, oh, I want to eat fried chicken. Which I do want to eat fried chicken uh, after this with you guys. But it's not about that. All right. What this is about is you guys learning how to worship God. That's abiding in him when you worship. It was as I sing those songs and it became written on my heart that I had that confidence. You guys, as you meditate on something, you, it becomes you. And so the more you sing certain songs and you really mean it, it gets written in your mind and in your heart. And then it's fellowship. What's the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, if you can't love your neighbor, how can you love North Koreans? How can you love the orphan? How can you love those that are lost in the secular world? You've got to learn to love your neighbor. That's why you guys are here. You guys are here to grow friendships. You guys are here to learn how to pour out and show patience to each other, and also how to receive, how to be able to lean on other people. And I told you guys, an eagle doesn't learn how to fly unless it observes its mother or its father. Guys, God has put different spiritual fathers and mothers in your life. And you can use whatever words you mean, mentors, teachers, familiar leader, you know, uh, role model, 
you can use whatever you want, but these are the people that you look at and you find yourself starting to imitate. And it's by watching them that you can really grow. I'll tell you guys, when Eunice was in college, she wasn't someone that you would have wanted to uh, imitate, at least early on when I first met her. She's come a long way. Maybe she shared some of her story with you. But she watched other people. And she got inspired. She was committed to the college fellowship. And she grew. Then she came out here. And she has grown so much to the point where she's leading this campus. And she's rising up in the Lord. This hasn't been that long. And I'm so proud of her. And this is what I expect for each and every one of you. That as you abide in Him, as you just get committed in the church family, committed in like a Bible study or a familia or something like that, you're going to grow. And it's a matter of taking root. So many people want to just rise up and take the world, but you've got to get the roots first. You see, the best wine is the wine that ages. It's the wine that you've got to wait for. And what I know is if you've got the bigger calling, that means you've got to wait longer. And you got to endure, you got to get stronger muscles before you can take that on. And so I want to encourage you guys, get into a familia, get into a place where you can have someone speaking into your life, someone that you are watching, and, and you have fellowship where you can learn to lean on each other. And uh, I'll tell you guys, in my life, when I was just growing as a Christian at Virginia Tech, I had great mentors. And this might have been because I was very immature, and I thought anybody that worshipped the Lord was a great person, but... I really grew a lot. I would watch you know, my, my small group leader, and I would imitate them, and I grew. But then as I became an older leader, part of it was maybe I got, grew more wise, but God specifically put a staff in my fellowship who had just gotten saved a couple years earlier. She didn't know the word that well. She was only a couple years older than me. She didn't have that much experience, but she was a staff. Imagine if Eunice was like a new believer, and she doesn't really know the Bible that well, and she's trying to teach you guys. And for me, I'd grown up in the church. I knew all these things. And uh, I started to get hit by pride. And I started to think, man, I, I don't need this leader. Why am I in here? But I will tell you guys, it was during that season of being under her leadership that I grew the most. Why? Because God was humbling me. And God was saying, if you can't learn from her, then you can't learn from any of these other people. Pride has filled your heart. You're not going to be of any worth to me. But if you will humble yourself and know that I work through the servant, I work through the poor, I work through the orphan, I can speak through a donkey. If you can just humble yourself, then you can do great things. God will lift you up. But if pride fills your heart, you're going to be like Satan. You're going to get cast down. Cast down. You're going to, you're going to not be abiding in God because you'll be abiding in your pride. You'll be abiding in yourself, my own anointing, my own knowledge. And you will do nothing for the kingdom. So I encourage you guys, as you're here, get involved. Be blessed. Grow roots. And grow in humility. Also grow in strength. Bake. Let yourself bake in the Lord. So that when those times of shaking come in your life, you won't be shaken. You're going to have a community to be there with you. You're going to have been built up in the Word. You're going to be able to endure it. Not just endure it, you're going to learn how to fly. You're going to learn how to overcome all things. Let me pray for us.